Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, Season 5, Episode 105, recorded Monday, February 20th, 2023. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health, and sustainability. Hello again, everyone, and thank you for tuning into this latest episode of Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Centropino. Yes, I'm back a week earlier than normal. Now, this time next week, we're going to be down in Bonaire on our shop's dive trip. Now, this is the first time that Donna and I have made it to the island, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm probably going to have to revive your next dive to review the trip, so stay tuned. Last week was quite busy. I started my work with the DEMA Board of Directors. Now, it's such an honor and privilege to serve, and I'm looking forward to contributing to the dive industry. This past week was also our second confined water class of the year, and we had several busy pool sessions with instructor training and dive master training and discover scubas, you name it. And if that isn't enough, I had a meeting with a local school district where we're developing some programs to teach scuba diving and ocean conservation courses through my nonprofit organization, Scuba Educational Alliance of Connecticut. Now, I'm ready for some vacation. On today's show, I'm going to talk a little bit about what I consider the first three pieces of dive equipment that you're going to need to buy after your open water course. Yeah, I'm going to put my thoughts out there. But up first is Wet Notes, my news, information, and commentary segment. This is Wet Notes here on Scuba Shack Radio for Monday, February 20th, 2023. First up today, I want to give you a little bit of an update on some uh, fourth quarter dive industry survey results. Now, these results come from William Klein, and he's been doing this survey for a really long time. He sends out a message each quarter to get input from dive shops around the world and then reports this back out to the industry. Now, I always find it a little bit of a challenge to determine if things are headed in the right direction or not, uh, because scuba industry uh, especially is diverse between regions. We just don't do a lot of certification work up here in New England in the fourth quarter or the first quarter for that matter. But from what we see, overall certifications are flat with no growth in Q4 when compared to 2021. Shops did report that gross revenues in fourth quarter were up, but that was attributed to travel. Equipment sales showed no growth. The outlook for Q1 2023 is no growth, but respondents did feel that travel should continue to grow. Well, these results seem to track with what I'm seeing, but um, encouragingly, 2023 seems to be off to a lot better start than 2022. I'll keep you posted on DEMA's certification results 
when they become available. There was a study that was uh, recently released in Nature Communication that indicated that 59% of 134 coral reef-associated sharks and rays are threatened with extinction. The cause of this threat is overfishing. The study based this on a half a century of data showing a rising risk of extinction. Now, the abstract indicated that some species already exhibit signs of depletion and localized extinction. The risk is greatest for the larger body species that are widely distributed across uh, several uh, national jurisdictions. These sharks and rays don't know the national boundaries, and those nations with greater fishing pressures and weaker governance make the issue more challenging. Now, here's something I didn't know. They're using something called Baited Remote Underwater Video, or BRUV, to survey the coral reefs, and this is where they're getting their most compelling evidence of the extinction threat. They're just not seeing the sharks and rays. So I talked about this issue when I reviewed Emperors of the Deep in episode 103, and it just appears that the program, the progress is not being seen when it comes to overfishing of sharks. The first quarter 2023 edition of the Journal of Diving History arrived last week. Now this official publication of the Historical Diving Society U.S. shows up at just the right time, it seems, just when you need to sink your teeth into some diving history. The cover story this time is about the first hydrogen dives that were conducted by Arnie Zetterstrom. Now it's a really in-depth article. John Council did a nice uh, article on honoring Chuck Nicklin, and Sid Mackin gave us a complete review of the third Vintage Underwater Camera Conference and sixth Vintage Diving Days held in Lorette de Mar, Spain. Now this issue is the first issue of their 31st year of publishing. And Leslie Lerney, who's the publisher, tells us that they all take great pride that this issue is the latest in a long line of uninterrupted quarterly publishings that stretch way back to 1993. Now that makes the journal one of the longest continuously published diving magazines in American history. Congratulations to all and keep up the good work. Now, I saw where uh, Aggressor Adventures just launched their new Cayman Aggressor 4 um, in early February. Now, apparently this is an all-new 110-foot liveaboard yacht that offers seven-day cruises for diving around the Cayman Islands. The yacht looks like a lot of the other Aggressor fleet, and it carries up to 18 passengers in three different style rooms. There's one master suite, six deluxe staterooms, and two bunk-style rooms. Now, they had a short video on their website titled, The Cayman Aggressor 4 is Back. Well, I thought they might give us some shots of the new boat, but it was ju all just underwater footage from the various dive sites. Also on the website, you can get an overview of the trip. Now, the Aggressor heads out of Georgetown uh, Grand Cayman and heads around the south side and then along the eastern edge of the Grand Cayman before turning west along the north side of the island. The liveaboard then heads over to the sister islands of Little Cayman and Cayman Brack for a dive on the Tibbets uh, out there on the Brack, and then back to Little Cayman for Bloody Bay Wall. And then they head back down to Grand Cayman for a cruise along the wall. Seven days and up to 27 dives. If you like the Caymans like I do, 
you'll like this liveaboard. It's worth checking out. Now here's a short story from getthecoast.com out of Florida. There's a new artificial reef off Destin, Fort Walton Beach, and that's in the panhandle of Florida. On January 15th, the Okaloosa Coastal Resource Team sunk the RV Manta, a former oil industry research vessel, in 110 feet of water, and it was about 16 miles south of Destin. Now that seems like a long haul. The Manta is 180 feet long, 55 feet tall, and 38 feet wide. That's pretty decent for a recreational dive. Now, the Okaloosa Board of County Commissioners has approved a five-year plan to make Destin, Fort Walton area the dive capital of Florida. I think that's a little bit of a stretch. There are plans to sink another research vessel, RV Dolphin, in the area close by. Now, here's an interesting element. There's an eight-and-a-half-foot-tall statue of Jesus mounted on the manta. They call it Christ of the Gulf. So if you're a fan of, of Gulf Coast diving from the panhandle of Florida, you might want to check out this newest artificial reef. For today's commentary, I want to talk a little bit about diver equipment service, maintenance, and repair. It's a necessary and sometimes frustrating part of a dive center's business model. Now, there are several reasons why this is so frustrating, at least for me. One is that it's costly to run the service center. And secondly, there are a lot of folks out there who don't really get their gear serviced and maintained like they should. Let's start with the cost to run the service center. To ensure that we have a complete service center, we have, to, we have had to invest a lot, a lot of money in equipment and tools to be able to service a wide variety of equipment. You see, a lot of manufacturers have special tools for their gear, and these tools are not inexpensive. We also took a look at how we wanted to better service and tune our regulator, so we made a significant investment in a fully functioning flow bench. Now, it also takes a lot of parts to stock the repair center. The scuba industry isn't like a car repair model where you can go call up the distributor for that just-in-time delivery of parts. I see that here in our complex. Empire Auto Parts has a fleet of vans right next to our shop, and they're out five days a week delivering needed parts to repair shops. For us, we need to plan about a year ahead to ensure that we have the right service kits and correct spare parts in-house for our customers. When you don't have that part, wow, it can be a nightmare. I can tell you of an example where we waited almost nine months for a back order part to come in. We couldn't get the part anywhere. That's just not the kind of customer service we want to provide. And then another investment that we must make in the service center is training and certification. We have to have the right credentials to service the equipment, not just the regulators, but all the other equipment that's on the market. So when you factor in the tools, equipment, parts, and training, having a service uh, department in a a scuba center is a significant expense to the dive shop. So now let me turn to a touchy subject, and that's the fact that many folks forgo the service and maintenance on on their equipment, or they have equipment that's been treated pretty roughly, or maybe it's past its prime. First, let me say that we have some very conscientious customers out there who are diligent in having their gear serviced, and they take very good care of that equipment. They get it, 
and they want to have the gear keep them safe. Unfortunately, not everyone feels like they need to have their gear serviced like it should. So, so not only do we not see that revenue stream from what should be normal service, we're also challenged when that gear is finally brought to the shop. I can give you many examples of these challenges, like regulators that weren't cleaned properly after a dive in the ocean, put away, and several years later, yes, years later, brought in for overhaul. You can imagine what they look like and the work that we have to do to get them back into operation. So I'm going to close with this one thought. I wonder what it would be like if dive shops like ours or your local dive shop just stopped doing service and repair work. During the introduction of each show, I say that this podcast is in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater. I want to try to get back to some more of that knowledge aspect here in the podcast. I think I started to stray a little bit from that element. It seems like I've been doing more of that on our YouTube channel. So I'd like to get back to some of that knowledge area of scuba diving and becoming a scuba diver. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about a question that we face with almost every new class or recently certified scuba diver, and that centers around, what gear should I buy first? Well, I spent a lot of time uh, pondering this question over the years, and you probably have heard a lot of other folks weigh in on this question as well. Now, I'm assuming like, that, like most newly certified divers, They've already invested in what we like to call personal gear, which includes a properly fitted mask, snorkel, boots, and scuba-grade fins. Now, that's our minimum level of equipment purchase to take our open water class. But what's next? Like I said, I spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I'm going to come at it from a little bit different direction. I'm going to turn that around and say, here's what I think you need to invest in first if you really want to be a scuba diver. And I've come up with uh, the first three pieces of scuba gear that you're going to need to purchase. I'll call them your core components, and they are the buoyancy compensator, a regulator, and a dive computer. Wow, you might think that's a big investment, but I think it's imperative if you want to really get into scuba diving and actually have fun, and more importantly, be safe. First, the BC. If you've listened to the podcast, you'll know that we are very big on the Halcyon backplate and wing. We train all of our new divers in this rig because we believe it is, offers the stability and simplicity along with a secure and comfortable fit. Now, when you have your own BC, whatever one you choose, you're going to have a BC that first and foremost fits you properly and equally important, you will know how to operate that buoyancy compensator. You're going to know where all the releases are, and then hopefully you're also going to have it maintained properly to avoid failures. I've got to tell you, I've seen people who have rented BCs who were really not familiar with them and jumped in the water nonetheless. Well, not only did they put themselves in jeopardy because maybe they didn't know that that BC didn't have that pull-down uh, release on the low-pressure inflator hose, and they started an unco uncontrolled ascent, or the BC didn't fit properly, 
and they were struggling the whole dive. They just didn't have fun. They put themselves and their buddy in danger. So if you really want to be safe, competent, and capable diver, then your BC is one of those core pieces of equipment that you're going to need. The second core component is your regulator. Now, why do I feel you need this? Aren't all regulators equal? You just inhale, right? Yes, that's true, but they're not all equal. One of the first things they tell you about a regulator in your basic open water scuba class is that that most important feature of the regulator is ease of breathing. So if you're renting a regulator, do you know if it's a balanced regulator? Is it environmentally sealed? When was the last time it's been serviced? Has it been dropped or kicked? And how is it cleaned? There are just so many reasons why you want to have your own regulator. This is the most intimate piece of dive gear that we've got. We're putting it in our mouth, and it's how we survive underwater. Your regulator is another very important core piece of equipment that you're going to want to have as a scuba diver. Now, my third piece of core equipment is a dive computer. Now, most places today require that you use a dive computer to go out on their charters. I've seen where someone didn't want to use a dive computer, and they told him that he would have to stay within the recreational dive uh, plan or limits. And because of the dive site, he would only get a 20-minute dive. He was upset, but he relented and rented a dive computer. Now, I'm not sure he was any safer because he just he had no clue how that uh, dive computer operated. He just jumped in and let it run. Now, that's scary. A dive computer is an incredible instrument, but you need to know how to use it. You need to know, uh, be able to plan your dive. You need to know how to set it up, and you need to know how to interpret the information that's being presented. I've seen it where people had it set up in metric when they uh, wanted to use Imperial. Think about that if you're uh, diving nitrox and you think that your depth is 40 feet when your computer is set to meters. Just having a dive computer strapped to your wrist that you don't know how to use puts you and, again, your buddy at risk. Also, there's the displays on the computers. Will you be able to read that information underwater? I know as my eyes have gotten older, it gets harder to read. Now today, there are very powerful computers on the market that are very affordable. They're easy to set up and use. But then again, there are a lot of them on the market. And how do you know that when you go and rent a computer that you're going to be familiar with how it operates? So this is my third uh, piece, uh, core piece of scuba gear that you're going to need to own. Yes, there's a lot of other gear out there. You might ask about exposure protection. Well, while uh, you might want to own your own wetsuit, chances are most places you go, you can rent the appropriate uh, size. You don't have to know how to operate a wetsuit. You just put it on. Make sure it fits and hopefully that it was cleaned properly. That's why it's not on my core equipment list. So there you have it. When I get asked what gear should I get next, I try to answer that by saying, here are the three pieces of equipment that I think you need to have to be a scuba diver. You need to invest in your buoyancy compensator, a good regulator, and a dive computer. The good news is that you can tailor your purchases to your budget. I know that dive shops like ours work with our customers to meet their needs. 
Additionally, there are some very nice financing options out there. You can get no interest financing that runs six months to up to two years. Yes, it's an investment. Is it worth it? Well, if you want to be a scuba diver, then that answer is a resounding yes. No doubt about it, scuba gear is expensive, and you're going to have to determine for yourself if you think owning and maintaining your own scuba equipment is as important as I do. I'm sure there are a lot of folks out there who agree with me, and there's probably a number who think differently about that. That's okay, as long as you're making an informed decision. So that wraps up episode 105 of Scuba Shack Radio, and now it's time to head on down to Bonaire. Stay tuned for a recap when I get back. Until then, thanks again for tuning in, and safe diving, everyone. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast supporting our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.